How's everybody doing today? Good. Glad to be here with you guys and glad to kick off um, a new series uh, today. We're going to do something that I, I, ha I haven't done this in a long time, and I don't think I've ever done it here. We're going to go through a whole book together. And uh, we're, we're not going to go through verse by verse by verse, but we're going um, to look at the book of James. And we're going to spend some time here, and we're going to look through a major themes in the book, and it's, it's going to be awesome. But um, I also want to give a huge shout-out, as, as Katie said, you know, thank you to those of you who, uh, who give here. And uh, because of your generosity, we're, we've been able to do lots of fun things like this. This room, I love how this room is turning out. And um, next week, you'll see the foyer over there getting done. And it's, just, it's exciting to see uh, some, some good change and renovations happening here. But also, not just what happens in-house, but what happens, um, I almost said out-house, what happens out of the house, right? <laughs> what happens out of the house? Um, we get to go and we get to bless the schools and we get to bless families with food. And one of the relationships that's been developing because of our ability to go into schools and bless schools is really, really cool. Um, the principal at Desi Evans is someone that I've gotten to know over the, the course of this past year. And he calls himself the proud principal. He's a fun, fun guy. And um, he knows who we are, knows that I'm the pastor of a church. And on the last day of school... The last day of school, I went in to uh, just say, you know, hey, you know, I hope you have a great summer. And he goes, I'm glad you're here. Can you come into my office real quick? I was like, yeah, great. And then he just said, he goes, can you pray for me for this summer and the things going on? It's like, how amazing is it that the principal of a public school is asking a pastor to come pray for him? I was like, this is a breakthrough in our world, guys. This is something that we get to be a part of, and that is so amazing. So thank you for what you guys do. It, it does so much in our community. And I know so many churches and schools that don't even talk to each other. So to be able to be in a position where we're blessed to go to a school and the principal wants us to pray for him in the school, that's amazing. So thank you guys for partnering with me and being a part of what we do. Um, open your books to, or your Bibles to the book of James. We're going to start in chapter 1. Um, specifically verse 27. But open your Bibles to the book of James, and um, I, I love the book of James. James is a very practical, hands-on book with not a lot of interpretation stuff. It's very, very, this is how it is, now let's go do it. And I'll give you a little bit of background on it um, and as to why James wrote the book the way that he did. So it's a small book in the New Testament. It's only five chapters long, so it's very short. You could sit down and read the whole book in one quick read-through. Um, and then I would say read it again, because there's probably a lot in there you missed on that one read-through. It's, it's very, very rich of practical application. The chapters are short, and you could get through it quick. But one of the, some cool facts on the book of James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. So James is the half-brother of Jesus. Now, can you imagine being the brother of Jesus and having to grow up, with, grow up with that? Have you ever heard the phrase from parents, why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be more like your sister? Here's James, right? You got Jesus doing all these things, and can you imagine those parents saying, I doubt they did, but can you imagine the whole, why can't you be more like Jesus? Look what Jesus is doing. James, come on, come on, step up your game, man. So there's James, and I can imagine James thinking, there he goes again, miracle here, miracle there, following here, this is insane, that's my brother, you know, and then have to be known by that. Like, who are you? I'm James. Oh, Jesus' brother. Yes, I'm Jesus' brother. You know, your identity is wrapped up in what the other guy's doing. Another fun fact about James, he did not believe in who Jesus claimed to be until after the resurrection. He did not believe until after the resurrection. I would have loved to see that moment on James's face, though. The tomb is rolled away. Jesus comes up, and James goes, oh, my goodness. He was telling the truth. The whole time, he was telling the truth. The joke is now on me. Post-resurrection, he became a strong believer in his brother. 
one of the people who was, was with the apostles, and he actually would be considered what, what we would call, if someone was joining the leadership team of, of the churches that were getting built, James was actually what would someone, he would do like the, the reference checks and the interviews. He was on the leadership team for making sure people were ready and equipped to, to plant and lead and be a part of this mission. He was all in. But he had a, a rough past not believing who Jesus was up until that point. Now, the James is often thought of, this book, as the Proverbs of the New Testament. Because of the way he writes and the application he gives people. There's not a lot of gray area. James says, do this, don't do that. Stay clear of this. Make sure you don't get involved in that. It's all very, very literal in a sense. We just have to tr uh, apply it to what he's talking about to our world today. But we get to read how the stuff and how he writes, how it really, really hits home. And I think there's a lot of strong points that he makes that can cause us to think differently than maybe we did before. But it's all very practical, very applicable, but also at the same time, extremely challenging. Some of it seems really, really deep and so real that, it's, that it's, 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 you, you, you almost miss it because you have to unpack a little bit. And it could be easy to fly over it and not see what he wrote out right in front of you. So here's some history of why he wrote the book and who he wrote the book to. So he wrote the book to the 12 tribes that were scattered through the nation at the time. And what it means is when he wrote this book, uh, the scholars believe he wrote it really, really close to after the time that Jesus had been crucified and then had been resurrected because it was one of the first books that was written to the people and made available for people to read after the resurrection. And the people were being heavily persecuted at the time. So Jesus had just come. He taught a life of relationship. He taught this amazing revolutionary walk with God and this love of God. There were Jews that hated people. There were Jews that hated Jesus. The Gentiles hated Jesus. There were Pharisees that hated Jesus. There were Romans that hated him. And Jesus ultimately was crucified on the cross. Even though he had been resurrected, the Jewish people were still scared. Heavily persecuted, heavily hunted down. And because of this, people had started to scatter. If you were a Jewish Christian in the time, you were living in a land where Jewish people hated you. A lot of people in the world that were not bought onto what Jesus did, they hated you and they were hunting you down and kicking you out. So James write, writes with a sense of urgency. He says to all the Christians that are being persecuted and scattered, there are things we have to do. We have to come together. There are, there are things we have to make sure people, is not getting lost in translation. We have to make a stand. And we have to let people see us doing it in the midst of this persecution. So he writes to the letter, doesn't beat around the bush, says, here's what we're doing. We're going to do it now. Let's go. Let's get it going. When you read the book, there's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of not waiting to do things. There's a sense of moving forward, and I love that about James. He says, let's just go. But what I also love is, as today we'll see in chapter 1, there'll be a lot of themes that start today that he carries through to chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5. He sets the standard with chapter 1 and then pulls it all through, so there's consistency with his writing. And there's one thing in particular today that I really want to focus on. And I'll start by asking you this question. And feel free to shout this out. I may have actually asked this question in another talk, but it's so prevalent in this book that we can't start, James, and not ask this. When you hear the word religion, what do you think? When you hear religion, what do you think? Feel free to shout things out right now. Man-made. Say that again. Rules. Stuffy. Old laws, right? A belief system, okay. Organized. Right? So, so not a lot of these words make you go, woo, right? You know, it, it's not, when, when you, someone says religion and religion does this, very often there's a negative connotation that comes with the word religion. 
And, and that's not just what we see. A lot of that comes from what we see on the world. And, and honestly, social media has made the word religion even worse when, when things happen. And, and someone will say, I'm a Christian. You'll, you'll get just you know, pull out the popcorn and start reading what people are going to say about religion. Right? It's got such a negative connotation to it. But James talks about religion in a great way. Yes. A cult. Yes, absolutely. Now, we can all agree that when you hear the word religion, it's, it's not super positive in today's world. Not a lot of positive words come from it. And there's actually a friend that I made on Facebook who I've never met face-to-face, but one of my favorite authors um, writes, you know, he's written books since I was in high school. He's still writing books. And for some reason, I've connected with, like, his, his publicist on Facebook. And I've asked some questions, and he's asked me some questions, and sometimes, you know, he, he does really good at getting back to people, but at the same time, he's crazy busy. But I've developed what's become more than just a fan publicist relationship where we've started sharing some life stories with each other. As a matter of fact, years ago we found out that um, my uh, second child was born like a month before his second child, so we were sharing just stories about our kids. And I was like, this is really, really cool that one of my favorite authors, publicists, and I have started to develop a relationship. Then he found out I was a pastor. Interesting things shifted in that moment. He shared with me that he hates, capital H, he hates religion. He hates it. He considers himself a pretty strong atheist. And um, when I actually connected with him, I was still living and working in California and found out that he actually lives and works in Seattle. So at that point, I had invited him to church at Creekside when I was there. You know, I said, hey, you know, I, I know what you've said about church and religion, but if you ever find yourself, um, and Terry Brooks, because I would, love to, would have loved to meet that author at that point too, but if you ever find yourself touring down in here, I know what you've said, but I would love for you to join me at my church. And maybe we can actually go out to coffee and talk. And we, we never ever did meet face to face, but we had some really, really good, interesting talks about church and religion and a lot of his negative thoughts about church and religion. And he would start talking about Christians and those Christians and those people. Those Christians start wars. Those Christians hate people's rights. Those Christians. And it was a lot of generalization talk. And the crazy thing is, as much as he hates Christians and religion, he and I are still friends to this day online. I actually, when, uh, when I first moved up here to Washington, he was one of the first people on my wall that said, welcome to the Pacific Northwest. Maybe we can connect sometime. I was like, all right. Then COVID was still you know, going crazy. But um, I, I hope that I get to meet with him at some point and talk because we're going to talk today about religion and relationship. Religion and relationship. James talks about religion, and, and religion is often looked at, as we said, at rules. A large set of rules. You can do this. You can't do that. You have to do this. You have to do that. Please don't do this. That's really, really bad. But we look at this yes and no list of things instead of what I think Jesus really came to show us about having a relationship with God and relationship with him. It's looked at as negative, but when James talks about religion, he actually uses it in a positive way. He says some really good things about religion, and we're going to unpack more of that stuff throughout this whole series. But I want to dive into why does James talk about religion? What is a true religion? How do we have what James refers to as a pure and faultless religion? And ultimately, that translates into a relationship with Jesus. So if you turn your Bibles to James chapter 1, verse 27, we're going to go to right away, what does James say is pure and true religion? So James 1.27 says this. Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. 
Look after orphans and widows in their distress. Keep oneself unstained by the world. So we have it right there, right? Pure and undefiled religion. James uses the word religion. And when we read this, we can start thinking, and that's like people in the world can, all the negative stuff that comes with it. The negative thoughts of religion. But there's something we need to learn about the way James uses religion, because throughout the series you're going to hear the word a lot. But I want you to understand the context James is bringing into it. If we go to the original translation, the original word for religion that he uses is called, is threskia. And threskia really doesn't mean religion. Threskia means an all-encompassing worship. So when James says, a pure and undefiled religion, he says, a pure and undefiled, all-encompassing worship before God our Father. Changes the way you read it, doesn't it? It's no longer a set of rules. It's no longer a set of do and do nots. It's now your lifestyle. It's now how we are actively living out our walk and relationship with God. And this is pure and undefiled to look after orphans and widows in their distress. In just a little bit, we're going to come back to the orphans and widows part of it, because that's a huge part of what James is talking. But Threskia, this is so much better of a word to use than religion, because it takes the negative out of it. It means that this, this, this worship, this relationship we have with God, these are, the, these are the things that we say. These are the actions that we're going to take. This is how we're going to actively live our lives, being engaged in a, in a community of people that are corporately gathering in worship. So much better than, relation, uh, better than religion because this is a relationship now with God. Not just a program, not just a set of do and do nots. It's so much deeper than the word religion. So, now, if we, if we establish that as being the core word we're going to use, now make it a little more personal. A little more personal. Going to get real deep here. Ready? How would you describe, then, your true relationship with God? How, then, would you decide, based, based off of what James is saying, how would you describe your true relationship with God? Think about that. Think about yourself. Some of you may be thinking right now directly, all right, how do I talk with God? How do I show that I worship God? How, is, how am I being active in my walk with him every day? Do I act the same way around God in my quiet time that I do with other people? Would people, if I told them I had a relationship with God, be totally shocked that I even talk about God at all? Would it be a positive experience? Would it be negative? Do I, do I change my words? How does my relationship play out? And relationships are funny, right? I mean, how many of you guys have ever been in a relationship in your life? Not just romantic one, any relationship in your life, right? Yeah, I said romance. Someone's like, woo, two hands, yeah. But, you know, every one of us has been in some form of relationship in our lives. Not just romantically, but friendships, right? We all have relationships. Now, we've all had good relationships. We've all had bad relationships. We've had relationships with people that we wish we never had relationship with before in our lives. There's easy ones, hard ones. Relationship is a broad term for just the way that you interact with people in your orbit, right? But I think that in our orbit, we all have different kinds of relationships that we utilize for different things. Some good, some not so good, but, but they're all relatable. For example, how many of you guys uh, have ever had a relationship that's kind of like a spare tire? Kind of like a spare tire. Now, a spare tire, right? How often do you use your spare tire? How many of you don't even know if your car has a spare tire on it? Right? You're thinking about it now going, do we have one? If you have a Jeep, you know where it is. It's right there, right? But all the other cars, you just don't know. Do you have a spare tire? It's the thing that you never look at. It's out of sight. It's out of mind. You don't even know it's there. But man, when you need it, it's an emergency. Suddenly, you need it, and you need it now. And it can be the most life-saving thing in your day, having to access that. Otherwise, you don't even think about it. Now, one day, Stephanie, when we lived in California, she was at work. 
And I was also, I was not just at work, but I was pretty far away. And so she had called me and said, all right, I have a flat tire. And she's in the minivan, proud minivan parents. And she says, I have a flat tire. And I'm like, all right. Um, she goes, I, I don't know what to do. So I said, do we have that, that, that talk? I was like, do we have a spare tire? I think we do. I'm not sure. Steph, even if we did, she can't change it. And I was totally unavailable to go, to go get to her. So I'm like, all right, where's the spare tire? I think I know where it is, but I don't remember. I think we have a special tool to get the spare tire out of its hiding place. This looks like a job for the almighty AAA. So I told her, it's like, all right, you've got to call AAA, and they will come save you. And make sure when you do, you play the heavenly choir of music when they come around the corner because it's going to be great. And sure enough, she calls AAA and they come. And you have to move the whole center console back, get a special crank, and in all of its cobwebbed glory, ah, that spare tire lowered down. And they put it on for, and then we were able to, to take it to a place and get the, a new tire on the car. And then they, you know, raise the spare tire, that wonderful life-saving tire, back into its hiding place where we haven't had to see it again yet. <clears throat> But how many relationships do we have, or do, do any of us have, that are like a spare tire? You never give it a second thought. You never even think about it until all of a sudden you need it. It's out of sight, out of mind, and then it saves your life. And then you think later, I really should know more about that. I really should pay more attention to that, that spare tire relationship. Or how many of you have a relationship that's like a wheelbarrow? Yeah, wheelbarrows, those are fun whole lot of work, you're feeling really proud, you hit one little pebble, oops, there goes everything you just did. And if it was concrete in that wheelbarrow, oh, now you're in big trouble, right? But a wheelbarrow, you load the thing up, you've got the weight hopefully distributed evenly in that thing, you pick it up on that one tire, and that one little pea-sized rock that gets in your way ruins everything you just did. And it makes you so mad, it gets pushed over, and when it goes wrong, I've never known anyone to tip over a wheelbarrow and go, oh, silly me, let me load that back up. It's typically quite the opposite, right? You get real upset, real like, oh man, just frustrated with what just happened. But how many relationships do we have where you're like that? You're good with someone, things are fine, and one little thing happens and suddenly it blows up. The whole relationship blows up. Now, I get all the feels all the time. I get real emotional. I watch movies for the 30th time and the same part still gets me watered up. I'm a very emotional person. But you've never quite experienced someone emotional as when they tip over that wheelbarrow. It goes crazy. People go crazy. Maybe you have a relationship in your life that's like a wheelbarrow. It's a heavy load. It's important. It's meaningful. You know there's a purpose, but something goes wrong and it feels like the world has now ended and things are now a disaster. Maybe you have a relationship that's like a bus. A bus. If you ride the bus you know that it's going to get you where you want to eventually. Get this bus to go here, that bus to go there. If that bus driver makes a wrong turn, it's all right. You can say, all right, see you later, driver. I'm going to go to this other bus. It's kind of a you know, second-hand relationship sort of deal. Um, the only reason it's useful is because you know it's going to serve a purpose, and then once you're done with it, you're done with it. Maybe you have relationships in your life or someone in your life where you feel like you only need this person for certain moments. Other than that, you don't really pay attention to them. You say, okay, I don't need you anymore. I'm kind of over the season, so you're kind of out of sight, out of mind until I need you again for, for this. And then if you serve my purpose, great. If not, I'll just find somebody else. It's not about you know, letting the driver know where they go, where they need to go. It's about you making sure they're getting you where you need to go. And if they're not getting you there, you write them off. They're convenient from point A to point B. Maybe that's your relationship with someone. Or maybe you have a relationship like an airplane 
One of my favorite things that someone says to me when I say, I'm going you know, to go fly down here, they go, hey, have a safe flight. I do what I can. <laughs> From row 26, seat C, I'll do what I can, right? When you're on an airplane, you literally have to walk in, look at the pilot, and know my life is in that person's hands right now. There is nothing I can do about anything. They are in charge. This plane is going to get me there safely or not. Those are my only two choices. And that pilot has all control over what happens. You get to go to your seat. You get to sit down and say, quite literally, my life is no longer in my hands. It is out of my control. He is in charge. Whether I get there safely or not is based off of nothing that I can do right now. If something messes up back here in the, in the, where I'm with the people, it really doesn't affect what's happening up there in the cockpit. He's still in control of the plane. They are in charge. My trust is 100% in that pilot's ability to do his job. Now, maybe you think you have someone in your life that fits one of these categories somewhere, right? Or maybe you can see where you fit maybe into one of these categories with someone. But the more I, I, the more I unpacked this in James, the way he talks about having a relationship with God, the more I thought about, man, this is a relationship, not a religion, and, and I want God to be the pilot of my plane. I want to get to a point where I look at God and I say, God, you are in charge. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit here. I'm going to do my part. I'm going I'm to buy my ticket. I'm going to go through security. I'm going to do everything I need to do to make sure I'm doing my part. But then when I sit there, God, you are in charge of this plane. You are taking me where I need to go. And I am doing my part to be with you on here. I want, I want to be able to say, God, you've got this. I can't derail you. But I'm, all, I'm along for your ride. I am on board your plane. I want you to guide me. Now, whatever relationship we have, we can think about him, but I, I hope that when we talk about all those things, a spare tire, wheelbarrow, and bus, that we don't look at God as our spare tire. We don't look at him as just the one who saves us in times of need, but one that we're always encompassed in. We don't look at him as a wheelbarrow where if something goes wrong in our lives, we're just ticked and angry and writing him off as, why would you do this, and trying to load it back up. We're not looking at God as just the bus, like, all right, God, you filled my purpose today, but now I'm going to take this bus because I really want to go over here instead. But we really are letting him get us from point A to point B the way he wants us to get there. So those relationships all come into play when James talks about having this walk with God. And one of the first things I learned through with James is that having this relationship, having this true religion with God is a good relationship is going to be a practicing relationship. We all know practice makes perfect, right? Now, when you go to the doctor or you know someone is in law school, they, they graduate, what's it called? What is that doctor doing? What is that lawyer doing? They're practicing. The first time I heard that, it freaked me out. I'm going to go to this doctor's office, and he's going to practice having surgery on my gallbladder. I don't want that doctor. But it's a different term, right? Or, or you, I've never needed a lawyer ever in my life, but, but they open up their own law practice, and I would hope that I'm not going to that lawyer's practice when he's defending me for, for whatever thing I may need him for. But, but the word practice here is totally different than what, what we may associate with the word practice. Because I was thinking, if I ever want a lawyer, I need a doctor. I don't want someone who's practicing this. I want someone who is the expert in this. But they use this word because in the literal sense, they are practicing what they went to school for. They are practicing what they are already experts at in their field. They are actively doing it. A doctor is actively practicing, engaged, and working in their, in, their law, in their doctor's office. A lawyer is actively practicing, engaged, and working in their office and in the court of law. This is what they do. It's what they do every single day. So it's not like going to a sports practice. They are putting into practice what they have done. 
And we need to understand that when we are doing our walk with Jesus and having this relationship with God, we have the opportunity every day to put into practice what we have learned to put into practice what we were reading, to put into practice what God is working on us. It's not just something that we read about. It's not just something we say, that would be nice to do one day. We get to actually physically practice it every single day. There are steps we get to take, actions we get to do. This relationship, this practicing relationship says, wow, I learned this. I I read this in scripture. I, I see how God, this can apply to me today. Now I get to go practice it. And a true relationship with God is one that's going to do that. It's not one that's just gonna say, I read about it, good words, did my devos, life goes on. It's one that says, wow, I read this. How do I get to do this? That's such a key to this walk with God, applying it. I mean, think of anyone who's ever told you this, pr- this phrase, talk is cheap. We all know the phrase, right? Actions speak louder than words. The same thing is true in our walk with Jesus. We can talk a big, real good talk. But if we're not acting it out, if we're not practicing it every day, we're missing a big key to this puzzle, a big part of it. Can you imagine the doctor or lawyer who went to school, read everything, and then never practiced it? It's almost like, what what would the point be? You'd have a whole lot of knowledge and a whole lot of debt and not be able to do anything with it. That's a lot of money down the drain for medical school or law school to not go do it, to to not see how not only does this benefit you, but specifically for those two professions, they are now going to actually benefit people. They get to go work with people. In our profession, if you want to call your profession this relationship you have with Jesus, we get to practice it not just for our own benefit, but to benefit others as well. But it takes putting it into practice. It takes taking a whole lot of head information and putting it into your heart and putting it actually out to doing it. We have a religion with, there is a religion with rules and knowledge, but it becomes so much more. It becomes a true religion that true threskia, that relationship, when we put it into practice. And that's what James is referring to here. And it's not just a one-sided relationship. We get to practice being with him. We get to practice putting our best foot forward every day because we know that we get to live in a world today where God gives us his best foot forward every day. So it goes hand in hand. We give our best. God's already giving us his best, and we get to see this fruitfulness start to grow from our practice. And I love that we give him his best. And James tells us in this passage to go do it. Not just hear it, but actually go do it. James 1.22 to 25 actually says this. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man looking at his own face in a mirror, for he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of a man he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but one who does good works, this person will be blessed in what he does. I hope none of us look in the mirror and look away and then immediately forget what we look like. Then you would need that practicing doctor to help you out. you got problems. But in the same sense, having this relationship means that we are reading this. We get that moment where we get to look at ourselves in a mirror when we're reading the Bible. We get to, it gives us an insight into our hearts and then we get to walk away knowing who we are, knowing what we look like and knowing how we then get to apply that into the world. And James says that. Don't just be readers of the word. Do it. Go and do what it says. There's so much more to it. Being doers, not hearers only. Hearing's one thing. Putting it into practice takes it to a whole other level. You see, when, when we get head knowledge, that really becomes about us. I know this. I know this. I know this. But when we move that into our heart and to our actions, then we make it about him. 
Head knowledge is about us. Heart knowledge is all about him. When we put it into practice, it's totally, it becomes all about him. How can I use this, God? How, can, how do I get to bless others? How do I get to glorify you? How do I get to go show the world what I've done because of what you have done in me? How do I get to be generous with people? How do I get to give to people? How do I get to serve people because of what you've done with me? He wants us to use our feet. He doesn't just want our head. He wants our hearts. He wants our hands. He wants our feet. He wants us to serve him and his people wholeheartedly. And we see this as a theme, not just in James. We see this all throughout scripture. For example, Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it will flow the springs of life. He wants your heart because life will spring from your heart. Proverbs 21.2 says, All deeds are right in the sight of the doer, but the Lord weighs the heart. The Lord weighs the heart. It's not about just doing something. It's the heart behind it. He wants your heart to be all involved and all encompassing. And Luke 6.45 says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. All throughout scripture, you see this in so many, so many of the stories. You, you see people's hearts wanting in. You see God looking at people's hearts. Where people see the outside, God sees the inside. He doesn't just want your action. He wants your heart behind it. He doesn't want you to, to, to say, all right, God, because you said I have to, fine. He wants you to be engaged. He wants you to want to do these things because of the joy that it brings, the life that it brings, the, the love that it shows. He wants to do it wholeheartedly for his glory, not our glory, which means we get to practice what we learn. He wants your whole heart. Words and actions don't mean much if our heart's not behind it. We've got to believe in what we're doing because we believe in what he did for us. Another factor in this pure and undefiled religion is that God makes it a practical relationship. James talks a lot about this, and we'll see a lot of it throughout this whole series, how things are so practical. We all have things that we're capable of doing. Everybody here is capable of something. For example, you are all in here today, or you're online watching us now, which means two things. One, you can move, or two, you can click a button. You did something. You moved. You got here. You're with us today. You can all move to that aspect. Um, or when you saw someone, you... Uh, I don't think anybody walked in here and said nothing to anyone. Everyone got some form of hi or how are you, but whether it was with a greeter or someone here, which means, which means we're all capable of being audible or communicating. So we can move. We can communicate. We can get from point A to point B and talk to people while we're doing it. Maybe when you came in, you got a, a hug or a high five or a handshake, and maybe you didn't want a hug and you, you, you brushed it off because you don't like touching it. I'm sorry if that was me that gave it to you, but... That's the best part. We, we're all capable of actions and doing things. We can all do stuff. At the end of chapter one, he says this, religion that is pure and faultless is to look after orphans and widows and their distress. James is telling us it's time to do something. It's time to get practical. How then do we know, taking everything Jesus did when he was here, this life he lived, the, the death he, he had, the resurrection, what do we get to do about it? What's a practical way you can do it? And James throws something out that seems so practical but is so powerful at the same time. At the time he says, look after orphans and widows. He uses this as his practical application for people, and there's a very important reason he did it. See, at the time James is writing this book, there were no two groups of people more vulnerable in the land than orphans and widows. They were the most, they, they, were, they were vulnerable. Look at that, they were, so when he says orphans and widows, 
He's not telling you right now today, you must go to an orphan, you must go to a widow. But what he's saying is, these are the two most vulnerable groups around you. So for us today, who are the most vulnerable people around you? Who are the people that you get to look at and say, these people need help? Now, to James, the literal sense, orphans and widows, and you're probably thinking all the people who would notice you if you're gone. Just think about that. So who would notice me if I'm gone? Now, if you think about that, you think, if I were to disappear tomorrow, you could probably start listing off. These people would know that, that I'm gone. There would at least be questions raised, like, you know, hey, where did, where did they go? Where did they go, right? But imagine now that you have no family. Imagine you have no one to notice that you're there. Not a single person, if you disappeared, would ever have any idea unless it was brought up. And then even then, they'd probably go, who? Who are you talking about? Well, they're gone? Really? Were they ever here? That's what James is referring to when he says the widows and orphans. People didn't notice widows and orphans. The kids didn't have high status in society, but they had more status than women, especially widows in that society. They literally weren't even considered a group of people. This was just a low afterthought, if there was a thought. Forgotten people, the widows and orphans. James is saying, if you want to have this relationship with Jesus that shows the love, we've got to look after the most vulnerable people in our society, the most vulnerable, the most vulnerable people in our orbit. Now, like I said, I'm not telling you when you leave here today, you have to find an orphan, you have to find a widow, but this is, I have to live like this. What I'm saying is that in your orbit, you can probably think of, there are people that are the afterthought in my world. There are people that I know need attention, people that need to know the love of Jesus because not that many people notice them, but for some reason, I do. I see these people, and now we have an opportunity to do something. And for some of you, that may very well literally be widows and orphans. I know people in this church that, that have adopted families. Their call is to the orphans, and that is a wonderful call. But I also know that's not everybody's call. But I know everybody here does have an important part to play in somebody's life who desperately needs Jesus. We get to go out and look. Who are these people in our orbit? Who do I notice that nobody is noticing? But when I notice them, I have the ability to go do something. I get to now take this practicing relationship and practically apply it somewhere. I get to go do something about it. Now, a question I had for myself as I was unpacking James is if someone were to follow me around for this past month, aside from the Mexico trip, because that's what we were there for, but any other context, if someone were to follow me around for the past month, how would they rate me in this area? Would they look at me and say, this is someone who sees the unseen. This is someone who is out there helping people who need help. This is someone who doesn't just walk by. This is someone who is practicing this love of God and showing with people. How would I score? And like I said, aside from the Mexico trip, which was a special thing that we did, I don't know if I'd have scored very high. I don't know. And it just makes me think about, am I practicing really what God wants me to do? And someone, I talk about her a bunch because she wrecks me in an amazing way, is my 10-year-old daughter, Aurora. Man, this kid loves the world. She loves the world. She's, she's called me out for walking by someone who was hungry and asked if we could feed people that I otherwise would have just walked by. She had the heart to go see him and feed him. She has this huge heart, and I'll try not to get emotional because I do. But uh, in Mexico even, we had an opportunity, as we shared on our Mexico Sunday last week, we went and we got to feed a huge homeless community, and we, we saw people that were, were using drugs and people that were high on drugs, and our hearts were breaking. And I looked over at my daughter, Aurora, and she just kept saying, can we give them food yet? Can, can we do this yet? And we were, we were sharing testimonies, and she was standing there anxiously awaiting the moment where she got to go give these people food. And as she was giving people food, I looked at her, and at one point, and if, if you've seen Aurora, she's a, 
joyful kid, loves people, loves the world. She's the one where if there's a group of kids and there's someone on the outcast, she goes to the outcast and has that kid jumping up and down and having fun. That's just who she is. In Mexico, we're passing out food, and I look back at her, and I was like, oh, are you okay? I could just see something was stirring in her, her face. And she, and she just said, there's so much hurt. There's so much hurt. And she was hurting for people that hurt. And I was like, man, this is, she is noticing what we may otherwise walk right past. But she was looking at it. And I love that she gets to see it. God is working in her in an incredible way. And I, she and I have got to have some great talks after the trip about what was working on in her heart and how God is using her to have a heart for people that they're typically are unseen. And like I said, in Mexico, we went to a community where you couldn't help but not see it. You look out everywhere, and it was a, a community of homeless people. But you translate that back to where we are now. You don't just walk down the street and see a huge community of homeless people based off where you are, but we do have the opportunity to see someone, and we get to notice them, and we get to do something. Can we help everyone? Probably not. But can we help someone that God makes us notice? Absolutely. We, there's things we can do. James 1.27, what it says about these widows and orphans. Man, Jesus had a hold of my daughter's heart in Mexico. Literal orphans, literal widows, and she was serving them. And I loved it. And I love that when we, we come here, you know, God was working through Aurora through a, a popsicle, some beans, a loaf of bread, an apple. That's all it took for God to get a hold of her heart. It doesn't take much to put something into a practical relationship, but man, God can do a lot when he does. And when we practice it, Watch lives change. Watch God work because we are saying, I'm going to do something. And something also changes. Well, something very practical when we practice this, our relationship ends up becoming a very personal relationship with God. A religion that is pure and faultless, it's going to be a very, very personal relationship. I love how James says this. There's a lot of pronouns in this verse. If you look through it, you'll see some, some yellow words. James says, anyone, he is a man looking at a face in his own mirror. He looks at himself and goes away. This person will be blessed in what he does. James is being very personal with who he's talking about. He's saying, if you do these things, these are going to happen in your life. We get to do this. This is not just a generic people please. It's you do it. This is what will happen to you. We get to go out. We get to live every single day in this, right? On a Sunday morning, I love that we get to come together on a Sunday morning and sing and have an amazing time celebrating, but then it gets to be really personal once we walk out of these walls, then, then when you're out every day, whether you're you know, by yourself, with your spouse, with your family, your walk is now a very personal what's going to happen today walk. We get to take it out so it's not just a corporate thing. It becomes a very personal thing. I love that Sunday we get to come and we get to get fuel. When, when someone tells me I'm too tired to go to church, I say, you better not be because this is, this is going to fuel you for what else is throughout the rest of the week, right? The week may beat you up and tear you down sometimes. We get to come and we get to fill up. And then you get to personally take it out with you everywhere you go. Live it out, practice things that you've learned. And it's going to look different for everybody here. It will look different for absolutely every single one of us. There was one year at a youth camp. I was a, a counselor at our district youth camp in California. And one night I had a talk with uh, three of our students. And we were supposed to be in bed at 11. I think we were talking until like 1 in the morning. But it was a good, good talk. And the, the, some of these students were questioning, I don't know where God has this place for me. This is what's happening in my life. I don't know how to translate it here. And one student in particular said, all right, here's what I want to do with my life. Here's where I want to go in my line of work. And I just don't see how my walk with God is really going to affect this at all. They don't go hand in hand. So I remember in that moment saying, oh, God, give me the words to say right now. It's midnight and I was not prepared for this. 
But then we talked about it. I remember asking him, I said, all right, when you go into this line of work, are you still going to love God? He was like, of course, of course. I said, okay, don't let that change. It's good. It's a good step one. Now, are you going to let people see the values that you live out in this line of work? Are you going to let them see where you stand? He said, yes. I said, okay. Are you going to let people see that unchanging love that you have from God produce and share that love with them? And he said, yes, yes, I am. I said, well, then what the heck do you mean your job's not going to be ministry? You just said everything that you need to do to go live your ministry. Show the love of God. Live the love of God. Share the love of God. You are going to be a minister in your field, even though your field has nothing to do with religion. You are going to show and make personal your relationship with people, and you will change lives. And it was such a fun talk to have with him. And, I, and he, he actually at one point told me, he goes, well, you're on a platform. You get to talk about it every day. I said, yeah, I'm on a platform. I get to talk about it once a week. That doesn't mean I don't get to talk about it every other day. The fact that you're going to be with people every day who probably don't believe in Jesus, you are in a mission field, man. And you get to have a relationship that will thrive because of it. That is your ministry. That is your personal walk with God. Every one of us here has that. You have a personal walk where you get to live a pure, undefiled, true religion because of your relationship. And you get to share it in your orbit every single day. And it's going to look different. Mine will look different than yours, but that doesn't mean it's any less. It means it's yours. It is your walk with God. God says, I have this for you. I have this for you. I have this for you. And we together get to go show this to the world. We get to make it personal. Spend time with him, love him, and ask God, how do I get to practice this? How do I get to grow in this? How do I get to take what you've given me and share with the world? And that's, James, one of his biggest points in, in chapter one. Don't just be hearers, do it. The time is now. We live in a time where it is, we don't have time to wait. We don't have time to say, God, I'm gonna let these dominoes kind of fall and let, let this start to build before I go. Live the way James is saying, like, do it. We, we get to hear it. We get to hear it every week. We get to hear it every day when we have our Devo time with, with God. Now let's go do it. Who in our life can we share with Jesus as we grow? Not when we've reached that goal, because if you're waiting until you've perfected it, you're going to be waiting a really long time. Start it now. It's beyond a Sunday morning. It's beyond an organized meeting. It's a life that we get to live every day. We get to practice it. We get to make it practical. And we get to make it personal. I'd like to invite the worship team up and have everybody stand with me today. True religion means we're not living by just a set of rules. It's not just a do and do not thing. It means our very being is to worship God. The fiber of everything we do is going to worship him. That's more than head knowledge. It's taking it from your head, putting it into your heart, putting it into your hands, putting it into your feet, letting it live out of everything around you. Look at those around you in your orbit this week. I would, I would challenge us to do that today. And not just today again, the whole week. When you leave, look at those around you. Who are you noticing that maybe are the widows and orphans in your orbit? Who, who are people that, that you see that maybe not everybody else sees, but you've noticed something? And God starts to fester and stir in your heart a little bit. And I know sometimes when that happens, you start wondering, oh God, is that really you? Do I really have to? Uh, it's really inconvenient. Newsflash, God doesn't care about your convenience half the time. He wants you to do it. Go see how blessing someone can show them the love of Jesus in a way they've never seen. Go see how noticing someone who thinks the world doesn't care about them, that the world doesn't think they exist, notice them. See how it changes everything in that moment. And then share with them the love that God is pouring through you. Practice your walk. Make it tangible. Make it practical. Make it personal. We all have an incredible 
relationship with him, a true religion with him, an all-encompassing worship, and let's live that out today. Amen? God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that, that when we walk with you, it's not just a set of rules. It's not a set of do or do nots, God. It's a set of we get to. We get to show love. We get to receive your love. We get to pour out your love. God, I pray that you open our eyes to see the things that you see. God, uh, break our hearts for what breaks your heart. Allow us to do something about it. God, I pray that when we, when we do that, when we see something and we make it tangible, we practice it, we then see your love grow in ways we've never seen before. We see lives change because of you. We see your glory shining above all else. And God, that we get to tell people, I don't just have a religion. I have a pure and faultless religion, which is a relationship and a life of worship with you. So God, I thank you for today. I pray that we're all changed by you and that we take it beyond our walls and we go to the world and show them who you are. We thank you, we love you, and everybody said, amen. amen.